Hi everybody, welcome to Roughly Polished, a brain dump of a podcast where we discuss all of our scientific, creative, and cultural musings. I'm Lily. And I'm Jillian. And in this episode, we're talking about science. Science rules. Science rules. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're pondering the vast world of research, so if you were to do a research study of your own, what would you want to investigate? First of all, what kind of fields are you interested in? Ah, good question. Good questions. <laughs> um, so I am in my master's program for applied behavior analysis. So mm-hmm. I guess that's, you know, my general interest <laughs> yeah. right now. Um, but I've also, I also have my undergrad in uh, my bachelor's degree in criminology. Ooh. So, yeah. has cool. Nothing, thank you. Has nothing to do with ABA. That's fine. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of, I used to have a lot of interest in terms of, um, I guess, morality and social standards Mm -hmm. in terms of um, justice and different cultures, Mm. stuff like that. Um, And also did undergrad research um, for about juvenile girls and how their cases were processed in the system and what the differences were between girls and boys. Whoa. (laughs) I didn't know that, bro. That's so cool. Thank you. Yeah, that was my undergrad research. I spent too much time on it and it was (laughs) so frustrating. But we took indirect or like data from the Arizona juvenile uh, justice system Mm -hmm. and we kind of processed and did statistical analysis and found cool things about, you know, how girls are different from boys, I guess. Yeah. In terms of... um, not just like their criminal acts, but also just how they were treated mm-hmm. in the systems, um, which is kind of sad. That's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> was it part of a, like a lab or was it... Um... So we had um, a program at UCI. I went to UC Irvine. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in... What was it called? It was called Europe, Undergraduate um, Research Opportunities Program or something. I love how... Like yeah, universities always have these funny little acronyms. To I know. Make them <laughs> we had so many at UCSD. Yeah. It was so hard to keep track of all of them because I was an orientation leader, so I had to know about all of the resources on campus. Yeah. And there were so many different abbreviations for things. <laughs> I would be like, I don't know. They try to make it into like little words too, so they're easy yeah. to remember. Uh huh. Yeah. I remember one of them was like a a stretch. It was called like storks. It was like. <laughs> <laughs> sixth um transfer i don't know what the o stood for something storks resource community oh my gosh <laughs> it was like a stretch yeah like you're trying to make a word out of something yeah. that just doesn't make a word <laughs> i appreciate so the attempt though i yeah it, i guess it's easier to remember yeah that way the intentions um, are good the intentions are good execution questionable <laughs> <Not> so great <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i did there's a program for undergrad research at uci which is really cool because i got paid to do this which cool. is nice yeah um so what i did was i me and a group of other two girls um that were in uh what class was it in juvenile delinquency we had, we had a class for juvenile delinquency and we we're mm. all part of that class and the professor was like if any of you guys have any research questions or, you know, potential research projects you would like to do, come talk to me or so I could be your mentor. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. Cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, it made me realize how much work research is. Yeah. Um, which is eye-opening and how rewarding it is at the end, which is really cool. Definitely. 
Yeah. And we got to present our big poster board to all of the other research people, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, what about you? Any interests in fields of research? Yeah. Um, I think right now I'm really interested in getting academic research experience because all of my research experience is only industry. So um, I was interning at this functional medicine company for a little while. Um, it was really interesting seeing how different the approach was compared to what they were teaching me at a very um, like a research-based university. So um, functional medicine is more holistic approaches to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of... Uh, you know, how do I, like homeopathic kind of things, Mm -hmm. like naturopathic interests as well. So I think it was so enlightening to be able to work in that field for a little while um, and see the differences and how they interacted with patients, how they approached providing healthcare, how they approached researching new ideas and where they were getting their resources from and things like that compared to things that they would discuss at a research-based university, right? which is like a federally funded, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> a lot of uh, labs have their own specific topics that they're researching. It's mm-hmm. just a very different approach and super interesting to look at and compare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's uh, my experience right now. I'm uh, doing some uh, psychiatry research with my company, which is also so like ah god i don't know (laughs) it's very how do i articulate this (laughs) i think learning about how everyone approaches it so differently Mm. depending on the kind of company the kind of mission that that company has like the different areas of progress they want to push Mm -hmm. yeah people just approach it so differently depending on what industry you're in yeah so that's um, sort of where I'm at right now, but I do want to look a little bit more into the academic research as well, yeah. um, seeing how universities conduct their experiments, how PhDs do that mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, so I don't know. That's sort of like a, you know, my current <laughs> place in terms of research. Um, in terms of fields of research, I have learned that from my experience that the holistic naturopathic approach is not for me (laughs) (laughs) well now you know not for any particular reason it's just um like uh, i think the methods that they use to uh, carry out their research Mm. are just uh, very different from my thought processes Mm. and how i process information um and how intuitively it makes sense to me Mm. so yeah, I think uh, that's also why I want to delve into academic research because I want to see the differences in uh, how they go about understanding information and understanding the participants and things like that. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, topics, <laughs> topics, I think, particularly, I really want to do research in uh, neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah. Um, I think there's so much so much good work that could be done within that field and so many patients that could potentially be impacted by research and that if we funded it more (laughs) (laughs) you've always been a really passionate person about um those diseases yeah for a really long time yeah so i've just had a big interest in them 
for a while. I know I uh, started um, garnering that interest in high school because mm. uh, we were learning about Alzheimer's and ALS mm-hmm. and um, Parkinson's in uh, my physiology <laughs> honors anatomy and physiology <laughs> with Miss Hamilton. Oh, Miss Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> that woman, so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> She was my biology teacher freshman year of high school was also. I, was I in your class? Oh, my bio? gosh. Where Second period? Second period. Yeah. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I just yeah. realized that. I remember in that class, we were doing this experiment with onions. We were cutting little layers of onions and looking at them under the microscope. And mm. we did them in pairs. Mm-hmm. With whoever was sitting next to us. Yeah. So I was sitting next to this kid named Ricardo. <laughs> yeah. It was so funny. Ricardo was the homie. Yeah. I remember accidentally cutting him with a scalpel. <gasps> oh, no. Because <laughs> he was, like, holding the onion down, and I was yeah. supposed to cut it, but I accidentally cut Ricardo. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm uh, so sorry, Ricardo. He forgave Ricardo. me. But, yeah. Yeah. Poor Ricardo. Yeah. Anyways, Miss oh, uh, <laughs> Hamilton, the biggest... It's, it was funny, because, like, she had... Um, like a some, uh, <laughs> she was a wild she was, woman. She was quirky. Yeah, yeah. If but... she was a friend's character, she'd be Phoebe. Oh yes, a hundred percent. That's so true. Like the most Phoebe person that I know. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I think she's honestly a big part of why I started loving science. Oh yeah, that's so good. Shout out Miss Hamilton. <laughs> I remember she had so many weird things in her classroom she did but she fully embraced them i know she had hair taped to her computer monitor Uh uh-huh yeah yeah and i don't know if this is controversial but she had a fetus in a jar she did yeah yes i don't know where that fetus came from but that was definitely a fetus that was a fetus yeah yeah Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of terrified me. <laughs> I was like, "What's this fetus doing in a jar? Uh-huh. Where did this come from?" But yeah, she was definitely she made science fun for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, if I had the brain for biology mm-hmm. and to understand things like that, yeah, <laughs> I would have loved her class. But she was a quirky lady. She was super fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love her. The absolute goat, honestly. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's that. Um, how did we get to that topic? Oh, uh, we were talking about neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We started learning about neurodegenerative diseases in her class, and I just got super interested in them, and I was like, whoa. No I don't remember way. that. Really? No. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't remember. remember anything from high school. I remember watching um, Osmosis Jones. Yes! In her class. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Osmosis Jones. Good movie. I just remember that. And then I remembered... Um, what was it called? Uh, Lorenzo's Oil? Re- oh, Lorenzo's... yeah. That one yeah. was also a really interesting one because yeah. that was a neurodegenerative disease as well. Yeah, I remember that movie mm-hmm. and I thought that movie was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Miss Hamilton, shout mm-hmm. out. Yeah, shout out Steve Van. <laughs> Steve Van <laughs> Hamilton. Ugh, Absolute what an queen. icon. <laughs> what other kinds of research topics would you be interested in? Um, so, within ABA, um, our goal is to kind of pinpoint target behaviors that we would like to change or um, develop and we call those behaviors that we want to develop socially significant behaviors end quote Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I guess 
for me, there's just a lot of questions in my mind going through whenever I hear um, my lecturers talking about, oh, this is a socially significant behavior. Just to define socially significant behavior in terms of just... We, we, we live in California where we have so many different cultures all around us. And then just trying to figure out what is socially significant in all of those cultures seemed to be a really difficult thing to define. Mm-hmm. So I guess in terms of kind of social psychology or social, kind of just social research, I guess, trying to figure out if there is, if it's, I guess, a question of morality, right? Is it moral to say that this is socially significant? even though it might not be socially significant or appropriate in a different culture. Oh, so sort of drawing the line between what is considered socially significant and mm-hmm. what is considered um, like a, a different uh, or, cultural norm. Yeah, exactly. I see. Yeah. I know that um, in Filipino culture, they use their hands to eat right. at meals. Yeah. Um, but here we eat with, you know, a spoon or a fork or a knife and a fork. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, is it socially appropriate or is it just appropriate in general to teach a child who comes from a Filipino background mm-hmm. to use a fork and a spoon instead of using their hands? Right. Because here at a certain age, we would expect a child to eat with a fork or a spoon whenever they eat anything. Mm-hmm. But then like in like typical American culture, we would like try to veer them away from eating with their hands but in filipino culture that's the norm yeah so is it moral to kind of say that that is socially insignificant Mm -hmm. if it's significant to that culture i see okay is there a difference between being socially significant and being socially acceptable are those two separate things or are those sort of the same thing because my understanding is that um it's sort of kind of the same ideal as social acceptance yeah so that's the question too is in terms of aba there's some controversies in the aba field um based on you know with i I work with kiddos on the spectrum and Mm -hmm. that's what i practice that's where i practice aba trying to help these kids learn um different skills to become more independent with their lives um but they also have different behaviors that are kind of sensory or automatic behaviors. Yeah. Um, I think the most common example or the most kind of um, the example that most people kind of recognize autism with is hand flapping. And that's typically a, an automatic sensory behavior. Mm-hmm. It, but if that's a behavior that helps that kid regulate their emotions and their feelings, then should we try to, you know, give an alternative behavior if you know because if hand flapping is soothing for them then shouldn't they be allowed to soothe themselves in that way because it's not hurting anybody um so in terms of your question there is a tie between socially accepted behavior and socially significant behavior Mm -hmm. the lines are just so blurred and for me it's just so it's the question of whether it's moral to change those behaviors right um which is so, it's so, like, it's it's a war in my brain because those types of behaviors are the behaviors that I am being trained to kind of give an alternative to. Mm-hmm. Let's say, like, hand flapping gives, give a kid, like, a fidget toy or something. Right. But is, would it be moral to change a person's individuality 
So I have a lot of questions based on like more what's moral because I used to take you know criminal justice classes where we talked a lot about morality and justice and the the connection in between those two ideas and Mm -hmm. what those ideas mean to different cultures. Um, So I just have a lot of questions based on what is is it moral to change behaviors and change someone's individuality. Wow. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know how that would translate to research, Mm -hmm. which will be interesting to see. Um, It would be a lot of indirect data taken from questionnaires and stuff, probably. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's just, that's a question that I have for people who practice ABA. Like, what's, what's, where's the line? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Another thing, too, is how would you qualify something as culture? What would you define as culture, right? Mm -hmm. Because, um, like, we can say a certain group of people, or we can say, like, one group of people has specific behaviors. Mm -hmm. That's a common occurrence. Mm -hmm. Um, But at what point do those behaviors become symptoms of something else? Right. Right? Yeah. Um, Are those things symptoms of... uh, neurodivergence Mm -hmm. or are those things cultural behaviors right how do we qualify that if it's something within your brain chemistry we can kind of try to pinpoint that right sure um but but, yeah at the same time if it's a if it's something that's happening due to brain chemistry Mm -hmm. and uh that manifests as a psychological things and also behavioral things Mm -hmm. all of that kind of ties into culture right yeah if culture encompasses behaviors Mm -hmm. i suppose a hmm i suppose a difficult delineation would be figuring out are we grouping certain people as other or certain people as our own Mm -hmm. you know yeah and what would be the moral thing to do in that case right yeah yeah because then at that point, like, if you group them as their own culture, then that would be a cultural norm. Mm-hmm. But if you group them as our culture, mm-hmm. I suppose it sounds like I'm sort of othering them right now, which is not the intention. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, uh, if we were to group them based on that, then... I don't know. I suppose that's where the moral dilemma comes in because mm-hmm. you don't know what the right thing is to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think in that case, it is with good intention that uh, they try and include them mm-hmm. in our culture because it's sort of a collective thing. And like, oh, as a society, we're going to take care of you. We want you to get better. But right. at the same time, like that individual individuality um, does not necessarily mean that uh, someone is, you know, like, <laughs> should be ostracized. Yeah. Yeah. Or altered. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say, for me, practicing ABA, there's a lot of moral questions that people have in terms of ABA. ABA. Lots of parents are sometimes concerned. Um, I will say the people in the my the classes that I take were all very aware that this is a moral question that we are asked all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just a really difficult thing to try to explain to somebody, Hey, we're changing this behavior because mm-hmm. it's not socially significant. Um, 
because again we're changing somebody's behavior and would that mean we're changing their identity Mm -hmm. so I just want to put a disclaimer (laughs) out there just to say like we're not I don't want to say that we're trying to kind of like alter somebody's individuality we're Mm -hmm. just trying I for me personally when I practice ABA and when I eventually become a board certified behavior analyst my goal is to try to develop independent skills for Mm -hmm. the person to try to to live as independently as possible right um but I do recognize that there is a lot of question um in terms of just what what is what is okay in terms of what we can change about a person yeah Um, and like at what point does it become indoctrination yeah (laughs) so that's something I want to research (laughs) that's so interesting yeah and uh, I don't know exactly how to research this yet, mm-hmm. but hopefully in the future, maybe the, there is research already done sure. about, you know, what's socially significant, what's socially appropriate, and what what defines a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, hopefully, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it'd be something interesting to look into. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is there ah. anything specific you would want to research? Oh, gosh. There's an array. <laughs> yeah. Research is so fun. Yeah. I mean, just to ponder it is fun because mm-hmm. the possibilities are so vast and there's so much that we don't know. Yeah. You know? But I would say in terms of, um, like, a societal contribution... I really would push for neurodegenerative disease research and that's sort of, um, you know, figuring out what the different mechanisms are behind the, the diseases and what kinds of symptoms um, we should be looking for for early detection because a big part of why these diseases are increasingly becoming a problem is because we don't detect them until they're already progressed to a very severe stage right Right. because at that point we're able to notice the symptoms of it Mm -hmm. so i think a really important thing is to do more research on what kinds of brain regions are being affected first how that will manifest as behavioral symptoms how we can detect those types of behaviors Mm -hmm. and how we can approach treating that patient from there so we could catch it early on and do our best to slow the progress of those diseases. Mm. Um, Because currently there aren't any cures for those diseases. So the best that we can do is slow the progress. But yeah, even in that case too, in terms of treating the patients with those kinds of diseases, there's a lot of research to be done on what kinds of therapies, what kinds of cognitive exercises, what kinds of foods those patients should be eating. Mm. Um, Because all of that affects how your brain is interacting with your body and your gut brain access and all of that stuff. I think that would be a great research topic to delve into. I think also, this is sort of just of my own interest, (laughs) but I think it would be so cool to analyze the difference in neural activation between people who form relationships in our current generation compared to people who form them in past generations. Um, And sort of that whole idea follows the timeline of uh, technological advancements as well. Mm -hmm. So... If we're looking at it in a chronological perspective, we can uh, I don't know, look at the implementation of things like social media, things like 
um, communication via email, via text, via phone calls, right. all of these different things, right? Because mm-hmm. as people interact with those types of devices and uh, um, technological resources, different parts of their brain are going to be implemented in order to uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, like program a person to uh, socially interact that way, mm. right? So I think... It would be super interesting <laughs> to see how people have uh, d- ah, got. Okay, how do I? <laughs> it would be so interesting to see how people form relationships now mm. and what sort of neural patterns are associated with that um, due to technological advancements and technological use right to facilitate those relationships so things like dating apps Mm -hmm. um a lot of indirect contact and communication Mm -hmm. a lot of differences in interpersonal skills Mm. as well yeah so my question is are people who interacted in more interpersonal situations in the past um differing in neural activation compared to people who interact with the uh, and have uh, grown up interacting with social media and technology and building relationships that way is there a difference in the neural pathways that are activated the neural pathways that are formed and also the levels of neurotransmitters because of that interesting right very interesting <laughs> uh, i think that would be so cool to look into yeah um i'm not sure how you would quantify that i suppose it could be an fmri study Mm -hmm. um between two different populations of people who um grew up with interpersonal communication as Mm -hmm. their main mode of um contact Mm -hmm. and uh, people who grew up with technology at their at their disposal Mm -hmm. and uh, had their social skills formed that way Mm. so it would be uh, sort of an fMRI study seeing uh, which brain regions are functioning during communication but that at, at that point I don't know hmm, this is such <laughs> a I feel like I'm just like uh, <laughs> pondering different um, methods no, this, of research this is now. good you're questioning your your ideas which is good <laughs> thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at that case hmm okay I have okay. a question okay. though okay Yes. So if we were to research that, Mm -hmm. um, separating people in terms of um, their technological, like access to technology, I guess. Yeah. You'd be comparing an older generation to a younger generation. Right. There'd be a lot of confounds. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Things like, oh, and also that would bleed into social and cultural aspects as well. So people of a certain culture and their cultural norms and how they interact with people compared to people of the same um, generation, but a different culture right. or a different background. Yeah. Because two people can have the same amount of interpersonal experience, but just have drastically different uh, approaches to interpersonal communication and I suppose that would lead into different different kinds of brain activation too yeah plus yeah. i mean i'm not a neurologist at all me <laughs> no. neither I, well you 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 have your bachelor's degree in you know cognitive neuroscience so i Thanks. you ha- yeah <laughs> you have more knowledge on this than i do but would there be 
more like more confounds in terms of the cells in the brain of an older person than a younger person and would that be oh, a big like a difference huh. in the connections and neural connections yeah, and things that would that's light a up on great the question. fMRI <laughs> huh i honestly don't know mm-hmm. um there would be differences in terms of plasticity mm. so as people get older, it becomes more difficult for their brains to sort of form new connections and be able to transform in ways to accommodate new knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And it sort of loses that structural elasticity. Mm-hmm. So in that case, there would be a difference in um, like how people interact that way compared to people who are constantly gaining new information and their cells are shifting to do that yeah you know so i don't quite know how that would affect it but that would be also super <laughs> cool to look into yeah plus yeah. like an older person would have i think you mentioned like more experience with those social skills than right. a younger person and how that would affect the brain because they would mm. have already developed more social skills compared to a younger person i see right Ah, okay, but how do you quali- quantify that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you can't really quantify someone's social skills in a standardized way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's assessments that you could take, I guess. That's true. Questionnaire assessments. Yeah, questionnaires. But there, those would be very biased, I feel. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, God. Huh. What? <laughs> A wild thing to take into account. You know what also might affect it mm. is, um, so I took this genetics, like a, um, it was like a genetics of neuroscience class. Mm-hmm. And basically the professor, she also did her own research. Um, this was what her lab was partially dedicated to. Mm-hmm. But basically, really interesting thing that I learned. As we <laughs> get older and our brain becomes less plastic, mm-hmm our body becomes more and more reliant on genetics. Mm. So as someone gets older and they're not as easily able to um, retain new information, be shaped by their environments, um, acquire different social skills and things like that, Mm -hmm. their brain becomes more and more reliant on genetics, which is like a a factor in how your personality shifts as you get older. Mm. So the way that someone can socialize when they're older can be so different from the way that they socialize when they're younger, right? Because when you're younger, you're more reliant on your environmental experiences in Mm -hmm. order to develop those social skills. Contingency-based behavior. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas when you're older, because your brain is losing that plasticity, you become more and more reliant on your genetics. You become more and more reliant on behaviors that are sort of ingrained in you, mm, right? In yeah. your DNA. So you, yeah, in short, you become more and more like your parents. Oh, <laughs> that's why we become more and more like our parents, oh, right? God. Yeah. And if that's the case, if I become my mother, I'm going to become real introverted. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm anything like my father, actually, my dad has become more mellowed out as well. So I think you're more like your dad. I think I am too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I don't yeah. want to be my mom. Uh, she's so, she's so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're all doomed to become our parents. Oh, I God. hate to break it to you. Oh, I hate to be man. the one to give you that information, but yeah. <laughs> that would be another interesting thing to research too, mm-hmm. in terms of what 
what is learned behavior and what is our innate behavior and how to kind of, because that's so interesting to me. I, I'm fascinated by evolutionary psychology. Oh yeah. Who isn't? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, you know, as the homo sapiens evolved from other homo, you know, species, right. (laughs) Um, we just learned so many, um, behaviors that are so ingrained in us now Mm -hmm. it's just so fascinating to see the evolution of that and to I don't know it's just so mind-blowing it'd be so interesting to see within a person um maybe just like a case like a single case study or something just within a person what aspects of their behavior is innate versus Mm -hmm. what is learned so that'd be a really cool like it would take it would be such a long study but just like as they grow older, or just, mm-hmm. like, from a baby to, like, however old they become, mm-hmm. um, just to see what behaviors are their genetic behaviors, I guess, and right. what is learned. That would be so interesting. Yeah. That would be a long study. <laughs> Longitudinal study. Yeah. Yeah. That would be super cool to look into. Because I want to know, like, what part of my behavior is just genetic, and then mm-hmm. what is learned. Mm-hmm. And also... What kinds of environmental adaptations have led to that genetic behavior, right? Because, oh, you know what else would be so cool? (laughs) Okay, let's say, for instance, environmental changes um, are shaping a certain behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And that behavior becomes a hereditary thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, Hmm. is that a teleological (laughs) argument? Maybe. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So, oh God, how do I? Mm, okay. <laughs> so let's say we have, uh, I'll use myself as yeah. an example, right? Yeah. Let's say some of my behaviors, I am Filipino. Mm-hmm. Let's say some of my behaviors, my inherited <laughs> behaviors. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's say those are things that developed from my ancestors, obviously. Yeah who grew up in such a different environment than I. Mm-hmm. At what point do those sorts of behaviors become obsolete to me? Right. Which behaviors am I passing on as someone who is now in America? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I don't know. And in that case, too, how much of that is linked to differences in the healthcare system? Hmm. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah. Elaborate, elaborate on that more. Okay. Let's say, <laughs> let's say, let's say, let's say, let's yeah. say. I inherit certain aspects of my immune system right. from ancestors who were, I don't know, indigenous Filipino people. Right. Right? And so I have those types of things ingrained into my DNA. Mm-hmm. And those types of things manifest as certain behaviors. Mm -hmm. Inherently, I'm just born with those things. Right. But now since I'm in America Mm -hmm. and I'm growing up within a different environment, within a place with different resources available to me, some of those behaviors will probably become obsolete. Yeah. Right? And... I am in turn also gaining new behaviors. So as someone who's also growing up with different resources available to me and uh, things like diet, things like, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, 
CO2 in the air. Right. Things like all these, these different cultural and environmental aspects brought about by not only um, physical environment and climate and things like that, but also by capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Right, because yeah. our healthcare system is a product of our capitalistic society, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's say I grew up in a country where the food available to us also mm-hmm. is heavily processed with different chemicals. Right mm-hmm. now, my body is building up a certain response to that, yeah. and I'll probably pass that on to my kids. Right. So, at what point do we see that shift in what is something that's ingrained into my DNA that I inherited from my ancestors mm-hmm. um, versus what I'm passing on to my future progeny? Right. Right. And also, what types of things from my Filipino ancestors are still being passed on to my mm-hmm. progeny and why? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Because I did a little bit of research before we recorded this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I read in an article that, um, I think it was called, um, or it, it was an article by Tierney, I think. Okay. Um, and she said, I don't know very much, very, many things about neurology, as I've said, <laughs> but she said that, um, when you, when you are young and when you develop neural pathways for behaviors mm-hmm. at a young age, I guess when you're a baby, you have more neurons in your brain than you actually need. And when you, you make those connections, that's when those become stronger and the ones that you don't use kind of become obsolete. Is that true? <laughs> Is that um, a thing? Probably. Okay. Oh, you know what's super cool? Huh. <laughs> it just gets me thinking about brains and things. <laughs> uh, I learned in one of my classes, I think the professor that does the research on this is mm-hmm. Douglas Nitz at UCSD. Mm-hmm. But basically, he was a guest lecturer in my systems neuroscience class. And he was saying that when people are sleeping... Um, your brain is going through and cleaving all the unnecessary synapses. Mm -hmm. So all the unnecessary neural connections, um, but also in turn strengthening the ones that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why sleep is so important and why sometimes people wake up with mental fog if they don't get enough sleep Mm -hmm. because uh, those neurons are still there. The ones that are unnecessary Mm -hmm. um, haven't been cleaved yet. Yeah. So... I don't know. I thought that was super interesting. So yeah. I can see how it would be sort of consistent with that ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, that's why kids need more sleep than adults because yeah. they, they have so much input, sensory input that they need more sleep to mm-hmm. kind of process all of those things that they've experienced because yeah. it's all new to them. Yeah. Yeah. This also might be wrong too, but uh-huh. <laughs> when you're sleeping and all of that sort of neural activity is going on, mm-hmm. that also will have an effect on what you're dreaming. Oh. Yeah, because that kind of thing happens during REM sleep, right? Yeah. And that's the stage of sleep that you dream in. Uh-huh. So let's say I have um, a dream and it's super emotionally invigorating mm-hmm. and <laughs> I don't know, there's very specific memories or very specific things that are attached to that dream. Mm-hmm. It's quite possible that the neural activity that was going on was in the brain region that was associated with that specific memory and those specific Uh. sensory inputs and those specific neural connections. Yeah. 
wild, right? Wild. Oh, so cool. We love science. <laughs> I love science. <laughs> <laughs> Neuroscience yeah. just makes me... <laughs> <laughs> I'm flexing my muscles right now. Yeah. <laughs> Buff Joe. <laughs> uh, yeah. We love science. I love science. Yeah, but it would be so interesting to see if there are genetic connections in terms of the neural connections that you already have in your brain when you're born. So like what you said about your your Filipino ancestors Mm -hmm. and what kind of genes and behaviors you were born with. And I'm wondering if that would have a connection with the amount of cells or like the neurons you would have in your brain when you were born. And then your environmental influences and how you were interacting with your environment and those neural connections getting stronger with those neurons in your brain from your ancestors. Would that just fade away and then... Because that's that's where I was going. I don't know, dude. Right? Whoa. Maybe. (laughs) Right? Because if you're not building those connections on your own within your environment now, then of course they they would become obsolete, right? I suppose. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, you know what I thought of? Yeah. That's like that? (laughs) The Asian squat. Yeah. Yeah. Can you Asian squat? Let me try. (laughs) Because this is about like... Okay, for those who don't know what an Asian squat is, it's basically just squatting all the way down with your feet flat on the ground. Yeah, your heels are touching the ground. Yeah. 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 And it's supposed to be a very stable, like, sitting position. Right. And it's really common that Asians can do it. That's why it's kind of like a comically dubbed the Asian squat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I suppose that's a genetically passed on thing. Yeah, possibly. Right? It has to do with the flexibility in your calves, mostly. Mm. So I know a lot of um, people who lift weights, powerlifters, they can Asian squat because powerlifters squat pretty low. And that's Mm -hmm. when that's kind of like an Asian squat. So a lot of people who Ah. lift are able to do the Asian squat. Right. Like, I don't need to do the Asian squat, but why can I do it? (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) At what point will that become obsolete? Yeah. I mean... Even now, like, I mean, I haven't been to Japan in a very long time. I'm Japanese, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to visit Japan every summer to visit my grandma. Mm-hmm. But I would see, like, along the streets sometimes, like, people who would, like, on their lunch breaks, they would do the Asian squat. Yeah. While they, like, just eat. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was so, like, funny and so cute. <laughs> so that has to be kind of, yeah, like an innate behavior uh-huh. that a- most Asians developed over time yeah that's it's, it's so funny I can't but i can squat. still do it yeah <laughs> do i'll you... show you right now okay, show me right now <laughs> yeah i can't i can't asian squat like i'm also not very flexible <laughs> um yeah, yeah so that's also very interesting yeah man yeah. i don't know god science is so cool it is very cool <laughs> so in terms of your potential research questions and studies Mm -hmm. what do you hope to do with it oh in terms of you know um the impact it might have on our culture now oh gosh i think if we were to um explore the effects of social media on attachment theories and interpersonal communications that would be uh, i don't know just very useful in understanding where we're at as a society, how we can alter our education system according to that, mm. um, how we can alter, I don't know, different uh, things like public health and building relationships and, uh, um, 
on different interactions in the workplace and all of those types of things, you know, mm-hmm. that are very interpersonally based. And also, I think that would have a big impact on mental health as well. Yeah. And how we approach that. Yeah. So I suppose with any research topic, um, it would just uh, uh, give a better understanding of uh, our current status as a society and the developments that we're facing due to technological and environmental advancements and things like that. And then how to properly approach serving our people due to those things. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. That would be that would be that thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's neurodegenerative research, then obviously, you know, hopefully we can find a cure for these things. Because <laughs> there isn't one and everyone is at risk. <laughs> I hate to break it to you. <laughs> uh, we all just want to live a fulfilling life. We do. Please. <laughs> we really do. That would be a very important area of research. So I'm glad that you are passionate about it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What do you think uh, the impacts would be of your research if you were to carry it out? So I guess for the social significant and what is social significant, that research question that I would have, mm-hmm. I guess that would hopefully... I don't know. (laughs) It would have a lot of impact on um, people who are neurologically atypical Mm -hmm. and um, hopefully kind of shifting our societal beliefs and our culture and what we consider the norm to Mm -hmm. kind of accept these people more Mm -hmm. and make accommodations for them. Because when you're neurologically atypical, some of these behaviors are automatic and they are self-soothing and you can't help them sometimes Mm -hmm. and um it just seems i like i hear stories about how people would stare at these kiddos that i work with because they are behaving in a certain way that's different than other people Mm -hmm. um and parents are concerned obviously because they want their kids to you know make friends and live a fulfilling life as much as possible so Mm -hmm. it breaks my heart to think that We live in a society where anybody who is different is seen as, like you said, other. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully trying to determine what is considered socially significant in terms of people who are neurotypical Mm -hmm. and trying to break down those boundaries and trying to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. I think that would help in terms of accepting people who are not neurotypical because there are definitely many people who aren't. Mm -hmm. And obviously kind of um, in terms of the field of ABA, just trying to better understand um, what is moral in terms of what behaviors that we should and shouldn't change. Mm -hmm. And just trying to figure out if some of these behaviors can just be left to the individual to decide if they want to change the behavior. Right. And if they can't make that decision, then maybe we shouldn't change the behavior at all just Mm. to let them do their thing, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And obviously there are some behaviors that we feel like we need to change if the individual has a self-injurious behavior Mm -hmm. um, that could be dangerous to themselves or dangerous to other people. Obviously we want to find alternatives that are functionally equivalent to them Mm -hmm. if they have a self-interest behavior because it's an automatic meaning that it the behavior itself is reinforcing so they just do the behavior because it feels right to them but Mm -hmm. just finding a functionally equivalent behavior that isn't a self-interest behavior for that person Mm -hmm. so there are certain behaviors like that but in terms of 
behaviors that we consider to be, quote, normal. I just hope that we can change what is considered normal in society. Yeah. Yeah, because that's, it's not nice to be mean to people. (laughs) Just like stare at people because they're different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, man. All really interesting things to look into. I think we're (laughs) both very, um, I don't know, bright-eyed and optimistic right now. Yeah. About... (laughs) a lot of the research topics and uh, I don't know I think that's a good thing though because it really uh, helps to boost the motivation yeah and the passion for the field so I'm glad that we both are interested in research because there's so many things to be researched about facts yeah facts yep what would we do without research <laughs> I don't know we'd just be stagnant that's facts yeah. bro Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys are mentally tickled a little bit (laughs) by our... My mental is tickled. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we, you know, introduce some topics for you guys to think about a little bit too. Yeah, if you have any research ideas, shoot them our way. I want to hear about all of them. Yeah. It gets me so excited, bro. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) research is so cool or if you have anything to say about any of the topics that we discussed yeah that would be a great conversation to have and i am so down for that (laughs) please i want to talk about all the things yeah um but i hope you guys enjoy yeah Um, (laughs) because i think we definitely enjoy talking about this Uh uh-huh i feel like this is something we talk about pretty often all the time (laughs) just like in our normal conversation yeah so it was cool to like put it in recording mm-hmm. hopefully you don't think we're like weird or something but honestly if you do that's none of my business that's fine you're entitled yeah. to that opinion <laughs> anyways we'll catch you next week uh bye okay bye <laughs> keep it casual baby <laughs>